All right. Good morning. Good evening. Good whatever. It depends on where you are and when you're listening to this. I'm going to go ahead and say good afternoon because it's afternoon where I am. I'm Paul Carruthers, and I'm the communications manager for Moto America, which is the home of the AMA Superbike Series. You probably know that, or you wouldn't have even bothered clicking on this. Um, anyways, we, I've got a, we, we decided to put together this podcast, and it's myself um, and Sean Bice, who doesn't have a title. Um, he came on board at Moto America this year to help me do all things media, um, social media, uh, writer interviews, uh, all the stuff that we do uh, in the communications department uh, for Moto America. So first of all, let me say hello to Sean, who is in Ohio. Um, it's, uh, it's is it, I guess it's cocktail hour there, right? Yeah, it's 6.17 p.m. right now as we speak. Hey, Paul. Um, good. Yeah, I'm a little nervous. I don't know about you. And I also want to, I just, I have this urge to to yell, good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's this mic they got me that looks really official and it sits on the desk and it's all chrome and everything. It looks like 1960s uh, it, microphones. So It does um, feel that way. It's like we're going to do uh, Orson Welles with War of the Worlds or something, you know, the broadcast. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, what, what we're going to do is, I mean, you and I have talked about it, obviously, we're going to we're going to chat about all things Moto America and uh, we're going to see if uh, if people like it enough for us to continue doing it or we'll just throw it in the trash and, and move on and try something else. But uh, I'm kind of looking forward to doing it. I obviously um, <clears throat> my heart bleeds Moto America, blue, green or red or whatever colors it would bleed. Um, <laughs> I've been on board with Moto America since since the beginning. Um and uh, yeah, it's it's I, I love it. I love all things about it, and I think talking to you about it will be uh, will be a pleasure, and we'll we'll fill some time and and hopefully entertain some people. And uh, this initial one, we'll just have myself and and Sean. Um, but as we go forward, we'll have guests. I'm hoping to try to talk our uh, our president Wayne Rainey into maybe uh, maybe being the guest for the next one. So so far, so good. And Sean. Um, to give me a little bit of your background. Obviously, you know, I, I know who you are and what you do, um, but, you know, our, our listeners may not. So give them a little bit, but I know you like to talk a lot. So just try to keep it maybe the short version. Okay. Uh, short version is tough, but yeah, I mean, my, my background is always, I've, you know, graduated with an English degree and I had a background in working in advertising for years, worked for ad agencies. And, you know, way back when I was in college, um, I uh, used to be pretty fascinated with the ads that Chiat Day did, and they they had, uh, you know, they they were probably best known for the ads that they've done for Apple over the years. Uh, and when the Macintosh came out, they were the ones that created that the girl running down between the, you know, throwing the sledgehammer into the screen and all that. But the other thing they were kind of known for is they actually did Yamaha's advertising back in the late '70s. So all the ads featuring Brock Glover and Kenny Roberts, um, and, and I was riding motorcycles at the time, and I was just fascinated with everything they did. And it kind of drove me into being in advertising, actually, and, and becoming a writer. But, you know, I've always had this passion for motorcycles and certainly road racing more than anything. And um, I uh, had relationships with Yamaha, uh, knew Bob Starr pretty well, and ultimately pressed my nose against the glass long enough and hard enough that they actually hired me to be a press officer for them about eight years ago. and. Um, in March, I, I joined Moto America. I was lucky enough to join with you guys. Paul, I distinctly remember when they announced, you know, right after announcing Moto America and they announced that you were a communications manager. And I remember thinking, 
and this is true. I'm not blowing any smoke here. I always admired you with what you did at Cycle News. And I thought, man, the guy's been doing that for 30 years. He is all in on this thing with Moto America. It was a huge commitment. And I actually remember telling you that. And, and you, you had joked about, well, we'll see how it goes. But, it, you know, I think you were being modest about the fact that you really believe in, in this series and, you know, do have huge passion for it. And, you know, I feel the same way. So, great. Yeah, I mean, it took a little bit for me to uh, <clears throat> to pull myself away from Cycle News because, you know, as you'd mentioned, I'd been there for, you know, 30 years. But uh, after some conversations with Wayne Rainey, who I've I've known forever, um, you know, I could feel his passion and Chuck and uh, I hadn't met Richard yet or Terry, but um, they told me good things about it and uh, and about them. So it, it, it definitely got my interest and, and I continued to talk to Wayne and, and, you know, he would tell me stuff, uh, he would, he would, he, he would share some of the secrets that were going on and some of the things they were trying to do. And then when they finally did pull the trigger on the deal, I, you know, I told him, you know, if you need a communications manager, um, you know, and you think I could do the job, I'd, I'd be happy to, uh, to join. And, and it, it was something that it was kind of at a time in my life where I, where I kind of needed a change. I mean, I'd been at Cycle News for so long and, and I just, I, I thought it'd be kind of cool to come at this, it, it, a very similar job, but from the other side. And uh, yeah, I have no regrets. It's, it's been awesome. And, and Terry and Richard are awesome. And, and, and Chuck, who I've known forever and, and Wayne, obviously uh, they treat me well and, and, and we, we work hard and, and we get a lot of stuff done, but uh, we also try to have a bit of fun along the way. So it was, it, it was nice that you joined the team this year. You're a good fit. Um, I think you and I, feel the same about a lot of things um but we also have differing opinion on on a lot of things and uh you know i i came into this i came into this sport you know from a different angle that than what you did i was actually kind of forced into it because i was born into it but <laughs> born into it you know yeah. something i want to ask you paul uh, i don't know why i've never asked you this before but you know your dad is kel Carruthers, somebody that i've looked up to and admired for as long as I've been following road racing, I mean, it kind of Kenny got me involved in racing, but then I learned about Kel and kind of went backwards and, and realized, you know, he was a world champion in his own right. And it's, you know, royalty that you, you're, is your family and a part of. One thing I always wondered about Kel, what, what is your dad's full name? Is it Kelvin? Yeah, it's Kelvin, like the temperature. I've never, I never yeah. knew that. I just have yeah, always I mean, known him as Kel. It's one of those names that, I mean, especially, you know, in this country, you don't, you don't hear it, but uh, I think um, you know in England and, and Australia and, and places like that 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 I don't think it's a popular name by any means. But yeah, it's Kelvin K E L V I N, and obviously he goes by Kel. Right. Um, has has anybody ever have you ever heard anybody refer to him as Kelvin or address him as Kelvin? Uh, not really. I'm trying to think. I don't even think my grandmother did. So I was wondering if it's usually and that's a, that's actually my middle name. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, see, there you go. It didn't take long for you to learn something in this podcast. <laughs> I learned something every day from you, Paul. That's you know what else? You know what I forgot to do was uh, when we, when I introduced this thing was uh, actually say the name of it. So we're we're gonna go with off track with Carruthers and Vice, and then yeah, that and I way mean, I think it's a good name because we've already gone off track a little bit, and it's kind of what we do. Not too far off track, though. I mean, I think we're usually in the in the runoff area or in the grass where we're not completely outside the fence, it's still related to racing. So it, it's kind of an appropriate name, I think. Yeah. And it, it can be easily shortened. If one of us gets fired, it could be off track with Carruthers or off track with Vice. So, you know, if we get ourselves into trouble with this and I'm going to rely on you to bring me back from the edge because I do need the job. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, again, that's going to be your responsibility. You can be like, hey, Paul, you might want to shut up and I'll <laughs> maybe listen. Likewise, because I'm relatively new to this. So, uh, yeah, I, I want to make sure you keep me out of the hedges, too, as much as you can. <laughs> so, so why don't we why don't we get started with, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously, we just we came back from uh, from our last uh, our last event of the year, which was actually the 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 night of champions, which was our annual awards banquet. Um, it switched around, um, all the years that we've done it, but, uh, and, and part of that was, uh, because we, 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 most of the years we've gone with the AIM Expo and that's moved around and this year it landed in Vegas and, uh, and we decided to do, uh, to do Vegas as well. So I, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a great night. It's always, um, I always enjoy seeing everybody dressed up and, you know, you, any chance you can get to see motorcycle racers in, in a, in a jacket and a tie is, uh is definitely different than what we're used to seeing them around the paddock, which is uh, generally t-shirts and shorts. So I think everybody had a nice time. Um, I think the awards ceremony went really well. We had Greg White was the, uh, was the host again. Um, he obviously, you know, he's, he, he gets along with everybody. He knows everybody really well. He's been around the sport for a long time. So he's real comfortable in that position. And I think he makes the guys comfortable as well. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was a good yeah, night. I thought, um, I, was, I thought it was really well attended too. I mean, I was a little surprised because you know it's been a few weeks since the end of the season, and you know, being out in Vegas, obviously there's some teams that are out on the West Coast, but you know, there were some teams there that weren't in the top three. They just came and you know to be part of it, which I, I was really impressed with. I mean, it shows the camaraderie that we have in our paddock. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was, and again, I think um, Vegas is one of those places that you can you can attract people too because of uh you know because it's vegas also the supercross the monster energy super cup supercross was uh was on the same weekend so that i think a lot of the guys stuck around and and watched that so um you know thanks to those guys for scheduling the race the same time because that that helped as well but we did we had all the champions were there um i believe the top three in every class um were there in attendance uh, so you can't ask for much more. It was a, it was a nice evening and it's always kind of, uh, it's one of those things that's kind of like your, like your senior prom or something, you know, where it's kind of, uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of a good buy because, uh, a lot of those people we don't see again till, till the season gets rolling, you know, with a, with a tire test in April and then obviously the races that get started in April too. So it's, yeah, uh, it's great it's to see those people in a different environment too. You know, I mean, it was just like kind of cool to see people dressed up and kind of wondering how they're, what they're going to wear, you know, when they go up on stage, but you know, everybody did a, a really good job with that. So, every, you know, people, everybody looked really good. It was nice. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I, the Jason, Jason Madama, <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny. I just, I, I can't help but laugh every time I think about it. And obviously for the people who are listening that weren't, that weren't there, um, I, I don't, I think he, I, I, I can't remember totally, but I, I think he had a, a jacket and a tie, but then he, in typical Jason Madama style, you know, also had a hat on that was kind of sideways. And, <laughs> and I think he'd, um, he'd maybe gone to the bar a time or two before he went up to make his, his acceptance speech, but, uh, it, it made for, it made for some fun. I think everybody enjoyed it and he looked like he was having a good time and, that's really what it's all about. And it was perfect for him because just talking to him during the season, um, he's kind of just like that all the time. He's a character. Um, he doesn't lack for confidence for what he's going to do. And, you know, he's going to win this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, he's just, he's just a different guy. And, I mean, 
I just love the fact that he, you know, kind of fries, flies his freak flag with pride. And, and he's a great part of the fabric of what our, our paddock is because, you know, he's a character. Really good. Yeah. And I, I mean, actually, I have it up. That's on my list of, of things that I wanted to chat to you about. But uh, that Twins Cup seems to be a, you know, a class of characters. And it was kind of I, I enjoyed having those guys in our series this year. And I'm really glad that, that we got to the point where it was successful enough. Um, you know, for us to continue that because it is, it's a, it's a different group of guys. They're there. There's a, they seem to be a little older. Um, they seem to be a lot less trained uh, physically than, <laughs> than our, than our other athletes. And that who cares, right? I mean, that's fine. They, they have a good time. You can tell it's for, for, I would say for probably a hundred percent of those guys, this isn't their full-time job. It's a, it's more of a hobby. But I think that class gives them an opportunity to uh, to compete and race against guys that are, you know, of similar mindset. Um, it's also cool to get some twins out there. And I mean, when we started that thing, when we got to Road Atlanta and there were seven entries, I was like, oh, man, we're in for a long freaking haul with this thing. How am I going to, you know, <laughs> polish this turd? But the the I mean, it it, it got to, it grew as the season went on, and and you know we had what uh, close to thirty entries at the final round at Barber, so you can't argue that that it did turn into uh, to a success, and and obviously I think we can we can start next year building on the the entries we had from Barber, and who knows where where can it go, you know? It was funny because you know at the banquet or at the night of champions, you know you have like the Yamaha team sitting together, you have the Yosh team sitting together and Yoshi Suzuki and you know a lot of the teams kind of sat together in a group but then you had the Twins Cup guys the top three were all literally sitting at the same table together and they they're fierce competitors and you know there's you can't think of two people who are more different than Chris Parrish who won won the championship and Jason Madama um but uh and and Chris Turner as well but those guys all get along really well and you know they they're it's just it's just a great thing to see one of the things I've wondered about that series Paul it's a question I wanted to ask you um, I had a conversation with somebody the next day about the Twins Cup, and you know, I'm not I'm not going to say who it was, but it it's there's no reason to not. It's just that it's not pertinent. Um, he kind of talked about thinking that he actually envisioned or thought that the Twins Cup was going to be sort of uh, a step, so it would be Junior Cup, then Twins Cup, and then Super Sport. Believe it or not, I, it surprised me to hear this because they this person thought, well, we didn't have Super Stock 600 and Twins Cup is sort of kind of a little bit like what maybe Supersport could be. And it just, it kind of had its own niche. Um, I really loved the fact that it was a little, it was a bit of a tuner series. You know, Chris Parrish told me you can buy an SB650 for $19.95, you know, less than $2,000, but you can put like $15,000 into it. So I don't know, do you, was it originally envisioned to be uh, a tuner series you know let, let's talk about what that's what that series is supposed to be i guess yeah i think i think you nailed it i think it was kind of designed as a tuner series and i think the guys that we had uh ended up competing in that class were the guys that we thought we'd probably end up getting um you know they're guys that race those that class across the country and in, in club racing and we just sort of gave them an opportunity to to do the same thing at a national level and i think you know, it, if you recall some of those press conferences um, after the Twins Cup races, they were some of the best we had, and and all of them are just so gracious and 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 full of gratitude that we that we have that series and that they can you know 
showcase their their skills and race with those guys at a national level rather than just a club race but you know i think you know it it really i i, I that's kind of what i envisioned it to be i i obviously didn't envision it being seven entries at road atlanta and i'm not gonna lie it you know it kind of got me a little bit worried but yeah um as it started to build you could see new people and it's also one of those things where like I'm sure there's guys sitting at home going, you know, they look at the results and they're like, oh man, I kicked that guy's ass at, you know, down the road at my club race. I should just go do that. Exactly. Also, I think what helped tremendously was the fact, <clears throat> and thank you to them, but the fact that Suzuki offered such good contingency and were willing to pay that contingency no matter what year of Suzuki you rode, it, you know, you raced. So that allowed some guys, and we saw that throughout the year, there were guys bringing those bikes out of the mothballs and uh, and competing on them and making some good contingency money. You know, a lot of contingency programs, and really that's the 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 idea behind them, it's, it's to entice guys to buy new models of whoever the manufacturer is that puts up the contingency. So it was kind of cool of Suzuki to, uh, to pay back uh, to those old bikes and, and not force those guys to buy new bikes because I think if they did have to buy new ones, um, you know, the entries wouldn't have grown as much as they did. Yeah. And I mean, it definitely helped with some notoriety. I noticed today with Chris Parrish uh, on, on his Facebook, uh, one of the companies that makes data loggers actually, I think, sent him a logging apparatus or something to, you know, keep track of his lap times on his bike. Um, and there was a little bit of a joke about it. Like, you're going to know not to pull in on your fast lap. But I mean, I think they've reaped some benefits other than certainly the contingency that you said. But I mean, I think they've gotten some notice from some of the, the industries and, and companies that support, you know, the series and support racing. They've gotten some benefit from that, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's nice for them. Yeah. And I totally ignored the, the question, actually, part of your question anyway, was the fact that if we thought it was going to be some sort of class that got somebody from you know junior cup to super sport i don't think that was ever the intention right i think i think you may end up seeing some some younger guys um maybe even start to do two classes like for example you know there's a kid that wants to do junior cup and also dabble a bit in the twins class and i'd be all for that because um i don't know i'm i'm just a believer that the more the more laps those guys can do and and especially in in a race situation is only going to help them so you may see some kids jump in there and uh, and give it a shot, but I think at least for now, um, it's going to be what it is. We'll just have more of those uh, old guys out there doing yeah, battle. Yeah, we, we saw it a little bit. Xavier Zayat actually raced in the series a little bit, and then I know uh, with quarterly development and having Geraldo Ferracci on that team, you know, Renzo Ferreira came in, I think it was at New Jersey and also at, at Barber, and they were testing that that bike to see, you know, if it would be a legitimate contender in Twins Cup and the Ducati uh, Monster. And uh, it was cool that Renzo, you know, races in Junior Cup and, and actually rode that bike as well. So it was it was interesting to see a few younger riders. There was a nice dichotomy between younger and then the older guys too. So it was cool. Yeah, and I think Drake Beecham was in there. Right, that's um, right. Whose name actually should be Bochamp. I don't know why he says it's Beecham. <laughs> well, he goes by the Drake, you know, it's which I think is pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what is he? He's a male duck. He's the Drake. Is that yeah. what that is? Apparently. Well, that's what I think anyway. I um, just think when I see that name, I just think of Rex Bochamp. <laughs> right. The, the old flat track guy. Exactly. It and is I, weird I, to beat him. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he'd go by Rex Beecham, but you never know. <laughs> right. It's funny that we started talking about Twins Cup, but 
Um, you know, let's talk. Let's talk about the Superbike uh, Motul Superbike series a little bit. That that was interesting how it started and how it ended. Um, a pretty incredible season, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was. It was. You know, I've looked at it obviously like you have several times, and uh, it it's just. I mean, it's really a tale of two different seasons because in the beginning. At the in the beginning, I'm like, oh man, this thing's gonna be a runaway, and Tony's just gonna kill these guys. And he started off winning almost every race, and and Cameron was struggling a little bit. And uh, I figured it would come down to those two again, um, because you know I think I think they still have a leg up on everybody, at least from race to race over the course of a season. Um, so I thought, man, this is this is this is gonna get ugly quick. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, things kind of flipped completely around with that race one at, at road America, um, which, which was, uh, it was my favorite race of the year. I mean, just from a standpoint of, of there was a lot of drama obviously with, with the, with the accident there on the last lap. And, and those two guys, I mean, Tony and Cameron, I mean, that, that is a legitimate rivalry. And I think that's something that, that every sport needs. Um, I think with those two guys, there's rivalries, you know, like, uh, for instance, one of the most famous rivalries is, is actually with our boss, Wayne Rainey, and with Kevin Schwantz. Right. This one's different in that um, they have their moments where they're really mad at each other. Um, after Road America, for example, I mean, you know, Tony threatened to punch Cameron <laughs> in the face, and and which I, I don't... I, it, but but what I'm saying is that, that, that the anger goes away fairly quickly, and these aren't two guys who hate each other. Right. They're two guys who have a lot of respect for each other, but they're also two guys that they're not, they're friendly enough, but they're not best friends, and they're never going to be best friends. So I kind of like the rivalry and the fact that it doesn't take a whole, it doesn't take a very big spark to cause a fire there, if you know what I mean. Um, so there's always with those two, it's always on the verge of, of, of it coming to fisticuffs a little bit, you know? And I think that's what makes it really interesting. And they race at such a high level. And they, you know, I had a conversation with, with Tony at dinner, I think at, at VIR on the Saturday night. So it would have been after race one. I mean, this is a guy that's raced against, you know, you can name these guys on a world level and, and Tony's raced against them. And he, he told me at dinner that other than Valentino Rossi, Cameron Bobier is the guy that he considers the toughest guy he's ever raced as far as a guy that will not give up and will do anything it takes to try to win the race, which I thought, you know, you know, I don't think that he was blowing smoke because there's no reason for him to blow smoke to me. I right. think he was dead serious. And I mean, it, it, that that should carry a lot of weight. Um, but I think it's kind of the rivalries built from, you know, back at Road Atlanta when they first got into it. Um, and and again, it's just one of those things that it won't take much for it to flare up. But it's a rivalry built on respect for each other rather than hatred. It's funny. Some people think, you know, I mean, Cameron, Cameron's 25. He's going to be 26 in uh, December. And uh, Tony's 35. So they got 10 years difference in the two of them. And I, a lot of people think like, you know, Tony's at the end of his career, Cameron's at the beginning of his career. And I guess in some ways that's true. But, you know, I don't really feel like Tony came to America. It may have started out where he didn't have a lot of other options. But, 
you know, he has a real desire and a love for the United States. And I don't know what kind of opportunities he might have now, but, you know, he's, he's still, you know, he's, he's not on the downside, I don't think, of his career. I mean, I, I, I still think 35, you know, he's un, in unbelievable shape. Um, I don't really think it's like you're catching him necessarily on the downside. It, he, he is committed to being in the United States, but it isn't because it's his only option, I don't think. Well, how do you feel about that? No, I think he's exactly where he wants to be. And I'll be perfectly honest, when, when I got when I heard that uh you know when 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 Jake Lewis got hurt and I heard that they were bringing Tony over, I was like, "Oh man, they're wasting their time." I'd looked at his results. Um, you know, he he won that when he won that Moto2 World Championship, I would watch every one of those races. I'm like, "Oh man, I love this guy. I just love the way he went about his business and he was fast and he his styles kind of his styles pretty special um but then but then he went to moto gp he won a moto gp race by beating valentino rossi which i just saw on the uh on, on somewhere on twitter or something it was actually the anniversary of that that race right. right so he had his moments of brilliance but but then his career sort of just kind of took a dump per se you know i mean it just yeah it you know, he dabbled in World Superbike and he went here and he went there. And it just it I just didn't think he was the guy to come over here and do the job. And, you know, he proved me wrong because he came over here. I think I think that the, the Oshimir Suzuki team did a wonderful job of making him feel comfortable. I think he I think the tire suited him well. I think the bike suited him well. I think he just I just think he got into this comfort zone that allowed him to totally rejuvenate his career. And and his his love for the country is obvious. I mean, the guy will fly an American flag more than most Americans do. Right. Um, so cool. And and he he just he loves being here. He lives you know he lives in a coastal town out here in in, in L.A. Uh, I think it's Redondo Beach. It's either Redondo or or Hermosa. And the guy goes surfing, and he loves the California United States lifestyle. He's embraced it fully, and it's it's. The, and the guy has proven that he can still ride a motorcycle as well as anybody I've ever seen. And, and at least here. So he's, yeah, it's a, it's a perfect fit for him. And it's funny because, you know, the, the goal of the goal of most young American racers would be to go to Europe and race in world Superbike or MotoGP or, or what have you. And, and this guy is 100% where he wants to be. And it, it just kind of flip flop from what, what, uh, what the Americans w would want to do at, at that point. But you have to remember too, that this guy was, um, I mean, Wayne Rainey was his hero. He had, he had miniature Wayne Rainey leathers made. He had a little Wayne Rainey motorcycle that he used <laughs> to ride with the, with the Marlboro on it and all that stuff. I'm not sure that leathers actually are probably any different size than what he wears <laughs> now, but, <clears throat> and I can say that cause I'm little too. So it's not like I'm, uh, I'm making fun of the, that, vertically challenged <laughs> so i mean this guy was like you know as a little kid he his hero is wayne rainey and he loved america and he loved this and he loved that and so by him getting to come here it's like it, it's just it's it's nirvana for him so he's taken full advantage of it and i mean the guy earns everything he gets because there's times when there's times when i can see like when he tosses that thing down the road and his crew's picking up this bike that's caught on fire and it's freaking destroyed you know, you can see the look on their faces like, oh, man, we got some work to do tonight. 
But then you know what? They'll bust their ass. They'll work all night. They'll get that bike back together. And then the little guy will go out there and kick everybody's ass the next day. And there's nothing better than knowing your guy is going to fight for victory every single time you roll that bike out of the truck. And I know from, <clears throat> from my father's time as a crew chief, you have as a crew chief and as a mechanic and the rest of the crew, it's so important for you to think that you have a chance to win every race that you go into. Because like I said, when that guy crashes that bike and you've got to put a lot of work into it, it's worth it because the next day that guy's perfectly capable of going out there and, and next thing you know, the entire team's in, in, in the winter circle and they're celebrating. So. Yeah. And it was weird about the season because, you know, you mentioned with Elkhart Lake with uh, road America, you know, it was kind of the turning point for Cameron, but it wasn't like, you know, it was still in doubt. And, you know, as the season continued, I mean, Tony had some issues. He struggled a little bit, but I mean, he he kept winning. He ended up winning more races than Cameron did this year, right? I mean, he won nine to to Cameron. Yeah, nine eight. to eight. Yeah, so. and I know. Yeah, and he made that. He made that. Uh, he made that known before that last race at Barber that you know it was important for him. He knew he wasn't going to win the championship, but it was important for him to uh, to win more races than the guy that that he did. So you know he did that, and you know in Cameron's defense, you know what was the point of. Uh, you know, wasn't going to hurt himself trying to beat the guy when he'd already won the championship. So you can kind of see it from both sides, but right. Yeah. It, I think if you, if you look at the season as a whole, um, the reason that Cameron is champion and Tony isn't is when, when, when Cameron had a bad race, he was still on the podium. And when Tony had a bad race, he crashed or was off the podium or, you know, had other issues or whatever, but it's so the consistency of podium finishes is what, you know, won that championship for, for Cameron. And the guy was obviously, you know, won eight races. So do you think that's the way that's sort of the MO for Tony? Is he, is he a win it or been it kind of a guy? Uh, does he go all out? Does he not want to, you know, he wants to just get the win no matter what. Yeah. And I think that's what makes him who he is. I mean, he's, you know, I've, I've seen plenty of, op, uh, plenty of chances in the past where, you know, even last year, for example, I think New Jersey, I mean, it would have been very easy for him to roll over just a little bit and let his teammate Roger Hayden win one of those races. I can't remember which one it was, but that's just not his, that's not in his makeup. I mean, he doesn't, I, you know, he doesn't care if it's Roger Hayden. He wouldn't care if it's his mom or his dad. He's going to do whatever he can in the last lap to beat him. And I think that's what makes him so tough in the last lap is, is, is just how bad he wants it. And when you want it that bad and you're willing to take the risks that he takes, you know, every once in a while, the, uh, you know, you find it, you find that thing cartwheeling down the racetrack, but yeah, that's him. And, and, you know, I, I, I think we both heard whether it's a rumor or whatever, but we always, I think we heard that part of his contract was, you know, performance clause related about number of wins or, you know, I, I don't think he needs any motive, more motivation in terms of monetary uh, gain, but he certainly, you know, it fit his style. That's for sure. Um, yeah. And, I know, think most it, of those guys have those that in their contract now. I mean, for the, for the most part, you know, as far back as I can remember, um, you know, there are always win bonuses, uh, you know, and if that's, if that's your motivation, that's your motivation. I think with him, it's, it goes beyond making a little, few extra bucks. So let's talk about Cameron a little bit. I mean, I did that story about, you know, the fact that 
I kind of play devil's advocate. I don't necessarily believe that, you know, Cameron ought to, ought to stay in this country and continue to win championships. I, I would like to see him do something on a world stage. I'm sure you would too. We certainly know our boss Wayne feels that way. Um, but you know, it, it, it's, it's a different world than it was before. I, I would like to ask Wayne if, you know, he ever had a situation where he had to take less to, to do more, um, in terms of, you know, salary versus getting a, getting a job, uh, at a, on a higher level, you know, Cameron's in an interesting situation. You know, he, he's a, he's a bit of a homebody. I mean, he loves his family and cares about, you know, got a, got a girlfriend here and the whole bit, but you know, he also has a burning desire to, to be the best at what he does. So, you know, what do you, what do you think about all that in this landscape with him? You know, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of difficult to difficult to talk about or to say because you're not him. Um, you know, and it, all of us are different. I mean, there there's there's people that would do whatever it takes to be world champion um and not worry about the money situation, not worry about you know any of the stuff that co- that goes along the sacrifices that goes with that. But then it's hard to it you can also see the side of a guy who's 26 and makes a lot of money and has set up a nice lifestyle for himself to be perfectly happy doing it that doing it that way and you know flying home on a monday morning and and being back in california instead of you know driving or flying or you know what have you around the world and 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 dealing with the stuff that goes with that but so it, you know i what would I do? It doesn't matter what I would do. It only matters what he would do and what he's thinking and why he's making the decisions he's making. And I'm not, I'm not totally convinced that he wouldn't go. I just think he has to have the right situation. And at the point he's at in his career and where he's gotten himself to, it's kind of hard to fault him on that too. I mean, if I was him, would I go to World Superbike for a second-rate team and run around and you know trying to get in the top ten? Absolutely not, because I don't think it's going to get him. It, there's not going to be much of a progression there because you're only as good as your last race. And especially over there, their memories are short. And if you get 10th or 11th, then they can consider you a 10th or 11th place guy. And where's that going to get you? Um, I think if he could get onto the Yamaha factory team um, and the money was right, I, I don't know that it would have to be more, you know, if it was close or if it was, you know, not a huge pay cut or whatever, then. Maybe that's something he would he would jump on, but again, he's the only one that uh, he's the only one that can answer that. And I, you know, I don't think actually that offer has been put right in front of his face. So, um, yeah, we, I think- we get to keep him. I, I one thing I will say is I have zero doubt in my mind that he could run in the top four or five in a World Superbike race if he was on his motorcycle or a motorcycle that was similar to his you know, i.e. a factory, a factory bike, because I think he's, he's as talented as, as the guys that race at the front end world superbike. So yeah, I completely agree with you. I think, you know, one of the things he's pretty, he's pretty loyal to Yamaha. Yamaha is very loyal to him as well. So I think, you know, what he he clearly wants to go, if he does go on a world stage. And like you said, um, if the money's close, then the Yamaha factor is, is big for him. He doesn't want to leave that all behind and it's understandable. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's hard for someone like, you know, if, you, if you're if you Yamaha US and you have a Cameron Bobier, um, as much as you say you'd like his career to go farther and you'd like to see him racing in Europe, you also have to 
you also have to think about what you're doing for your team. And I know they want their team to be as strong as possible here. And right now they have a guy that they can count on every single weekend that's perfectly capable of winning a race and winning championships. So, you know, do you want that to leave? Probably not. But, you know, some it, it just depends on, I guess it depends on, well, it depends on several things. I mean, you know, how bad do you want to keep the guy here and how bad do you want to let him chase his dream? And, and actually, is it his dream? Yeah. So, Paul, let's talk about a guy. We've sort of talked about this, you know, Cameron situation, Tony's situation. There was a guy that did leave, did go over there, didn't go so well, came back here, reinvented himself, and is really obviously a contender now. And obviously, I'm talking about Josh Heron. Um, it was an interesting year for him. I think, I think you know, it seems like his progression back from the the situation he had in Moto Two. It took some time, but in some ways, it it didn't. I mean, you almost forget the fact that he had had that situation. I mean, he's really he's really come into his own, and you know, he got with the right team, and you know, it, he surprised me this year. It really, did he surprise you? Yeah, he did. Um... I thought we were going to get the the same Josh Heron that that we've had um and no disrespect to him whatsoever I think he's an extremely talented motorcycle racer I think um I think where he struggled in the past maybe is focus and and I think he would admit that I don't think I'm saying anything that he he wouldn't agree with right I think this year um I think this year he 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 came I think he thrives in a situation where he's this underdog, um, where he kind of gets to do what he wants, um, and whatever pressure he has comes from himself. I, I'll never forget when he won that Superbike Championship for the Yamaha team. He beat Josh uh, Josh Hayes for that title. I think the last race, I, I want to say it was Laguna Seca. It seems to be what comes to mind without me checking, but... Um, when he won that title there, he was kind of, he was kind of apologetic about it. Like he didn't, you got the sense that he didn't feel like he truly deserved it. I think that was the year that, that Hayes had some problems with uh, getting docked for jump starts. hundred percent. Yeah. It was like, he didn't win it. it. It was almost like Josh lost it. Josh Hayes yeah. lost it. Yeah. So I think, I think what could have hurt him in his, in that part of his career is I think he won that Superbike championship and felt like he didn't deserve it. Um, and then I think next thing he knew, he found himself, you know, with this Moto2 ride, and he's in Europe, and he got off on the wrong foot, and he's getting his ass kicked, and he's like a dog just getting kicked into the corner, and nothing ever went right. I mean, you know, if he got a good start, you know, like at Coda, like he, he crashes in the first corner and takes out, you know, I don't know how many guys. Right. But I think he just... I think he just was in a bad position early on. And I, I think he went into it probably not as confident as he should have been because of the way he won that title and because of the things that people said about him. Oh, he didn't deserve it, blah, 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 which is a bunch of bullshit because you deserve anything you get in this sport. And sure, sometimes you get a little lucky, but you know what? If you win any kind of championship that's over the course of 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 rounds, you've deserved it but I think his confidence probably wasn't as high as it, it should have been. And I mean, he, I, I don't think you could find a way to be more demoralized than what he was with the season that he had there because he seriously just got his ass kicked and he came home. He didn't even get to finish the season because they dumped him. His teammate was successful. 
And there's nothing worse than having a teammate that's successful because then you can't even say your bike's a pile of crap. Um, and then he came back here. And, and I think the Moto America thing started at the perfect time for him. You know, he was able to get back on a 600 on an R6, which has always been a motorcycle that, for, you know, it's almost like it was made for Josh Heron. So he got on the R6. He had incredible success in our Super Sport Series. He moved up to the Stock 1000 class, obviously had total success there. His first year of Superbike, he was, he, he was, he was successful in that he, he, he showed that he could run at the front of a Superbike race on a, on a Stock 1000. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'd be the first to tell you, and he'd probably be the first to tell you as well, he was overriding the crap out of it <laughs> um eventually the tires would go off and he would fade back or he'd crash or whatever and there was that famous crash he had where he took tony out but i mean the guy's always put in the effort um he just could never really do it over the course of a of a full race as we know that team that he was on fell apart he ended up at the end of last year he got a couple of rides on the yamaha factory bike um when cameron was hurt he put that thing on the podium um, sat out the last race because it was raining. He didn't feel it was safe. I think if you asked him today, if that was a mistake, he would 100% say that it was because I, I don't think there's any way of arguing that it wasn't because it was a mistake for him to not to ride. And then this year he, he got that attack, uh, performance ride. He, he, his compound sponsors it. It's, I think he feels like it's, it's part his team, which it obviously is. You know, and it's us against the world, and he can do whatever he wants with his social media. He can slide bikes on the street. He can flip off the camera. He can act like a hooligan. He can do whatever the hell he wants, and I think that's a situation that he thrives in, and I think that's why he had so much success this year. Won a couple of races, and, you know, it, it, I, I think he's probably the number one guy in line for the Oshimura Suzuki ride. Now, if you yeah, ask me be... if I think – go ahead. Well, I was going to say it's it's just it's real interesting with that that here he is finding himself on the possibly on the cusp of you know getting a factory ride with a a brand that isn't a brand that he's been on for pretty much all of his life. He's he's another one that's always been really loyal to Yamaha and and felt that it's kind of been both ways. I mean, I I think that Yamaha had some things to do with getting him a bike and for Richard to you know turn into what he what he turned it into. So that's going to be interesting to see if he you know, if that does play out and he goes to, goes there, you know, he, Josh Heron kind of reinvented himself. I mean, you talk about that year that he won the championship, you know, the thing he was known for back then is following. He would follow Hayes a lot. Um, even as much as like, even last year, I remember, you know, the, some of the riders used to complain about him following during practice sessions and, you know, um, qualifying and, you know, you never heard that from him this year. He it's it's like he doesn't really really do that anymore. Um, he's his own man. He's comfortable uh, being in front, and he seems to be able to manage tires uh, pretty well. And you know, he he does some pretty incredible things on a motorcycle. So I can I can understand why he's possibly got his name in the hat for that Yosh ride. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if he does make that switch. That's a that's a huge change for him to get on that bike. If that happened, yeah, I mean, it, obviously that's that's one of the that's one of the four best rides in the paddock, um, and the other three are are pretty much taken. So whoever gets that fourth ride is is you know they're they're in a good position. I think if he does get that ride, he's obviously deserved it based on this year. Um, are there other riders who are equally deserving? I think so. Um, you know, if you ask me if if that's the best spot for Josh Heron to be in, I think that's debatable. Um, 
as I said earlier, I think he thrives. I think he thrived and I think he, he turned his team into a success story based on the fact that it was his team with Richard. And, uh, and I think, you know, I'm not sure how he will, if he will thrive as much if he's placed into a, a factory team, you know, like the Yoshimura Suzuki team, if, if they take away some of the Josh Heron that makes Josh Heron who he is, but you know, again, who am I to say? I mean, that's something we'd have to wait and see. I just wish these damn guys would give us an answer and, and let us know who's riding that bike. Cause whoever it is, it's going to be a pretty good story. It'll be a big story. And it's, uh, you know, it's something for for our fans and, and the industry to talk about. I can't believe it hasn't happened yet. It almost seemed like when Roger announced his retirement, I, I thought it would be shortly after that. It seemed like they, you know, have a, a plan in mind and kind of, I, I, I don't, I've heard they, they don't know, you know, I, I can't imagine that they don't know. And I thought maybe it would be announced at the night of champions or AIM Expo, you know, and, and then of course they did a nice send off for Roger at the AIM Expo too. But it's just amazing that it hasn't, it hasn't been announced by now. And of course, it's only October. So some teams don't announce their riders until, you know, January of the following year anyway. But it's still given the gravity of that position um, and what it means to the paddock and, you know, how a lot of things will fall in place after that happens with other riders. And it's, you know, it's sort of everybody's waiting to see what's happening with that ride, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it might just be a case of they honestly don't know yet. Um, it's a big decision for them. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's several guys, there's several guys that we know about that, that have their name in that hat. And there could be guys that we don't even know about that have their names in that hat. So it, there's probably, a who knows what, there might be some conflict like, a, you know, is this a Yoshimura choice? Is this a Suzuki choice? Is it a Suzuki racing choice? Is the marketing department involved? I mean, you just don't know. There's so many levels there. Um, so maybe there's just a lot of indecision and, and, and they're still trying to, to come to a conclusion that makes, makes everybody happy. Um, you know, Paul, I heard you know, something, I heard something just to interrupt you for a minute. I actually heard this yesterday. Uh, here's a bit of a paddock rumor, I guess. I've heard as like, as we speak or possibly today uh, or tomorrow, but there are actually riders going to tracks in California and still trying out for that position. Believe it or not, have you heard that as well? I heard that a while ago, but I didn't know it was actually happening. Yeah. So you mean as far as them actually get to throw their leg over the bike and see who's got the best lap times? Yeah, I heard a rider in whose name is in the hat is, I think he may have been at Thunder Hill today or is going to be next couple of days or, yeah, I heard that, uh, you know, I was surprised to hear that. I didn't think that tryouts were still going on, so to speak. Um, I thought it was a matter of, you know, uh, that Suzuki and Yoshimura had seen, you know, the players that the names in the hat and knew, and it was just a matter of trying to make the decision. But I think there, I think there's still some riders being evaluated. It's not from what I've heard. Strange. Yeah, maybe they're going back to the old "How did we find Kevin Schwantz days?" kind of a thing because I think he had to do a tryout at Willow Springs or something. If Absolutely, I that's exactly right. Um, it's amazing that that would know, even I, happen. I think the situ I think. I think if you put these guys in a situation where they get to go ride the bike for a day or two, it's probably not a bad idea. I wouldn't like to see, you know, originally I heard, oh, they're going to have these, they're going to have these three or four guys at the track at the same time. They're all going to ride the bike and we'll just see who's the fastest. And that sounds like a situation that, you know, it's going to end in tears at some point because right. I know it's happened in the past a long time ago and you get people hurt doing that. 
some guys are obviously, you know, um, you know, if JD Beach was put in that position, for example, he would be at a, a complete disadvantage to, you know, a Matthew Skultz or Josh Heron in the fact that, you know, they've been riding these super bikes all year and, and JD hasn't. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I mean, I would like to be able to make that decision because I, I think it'd be kind of cool. And I think I know what I would do. Um, but then again, you know, it's, it's probably a, a difficult position for those guys at Yosh and Suzuki to do, to deal with because, um, you know, they, they got to make the right choice because it's a, it's a very visible decision and, and they'll be, uh, they'll be ridiculed if they make the wrong one. So it's, uh, it's kind of like, I guess it's, it's almost like that number one draft pick in, in the NFL. I mean, you know, you're haunted by that for a long time if you screw it up and if you get it right, you've, uh, you know, you got a, you got a quarterback for 10 years or something. So, yeah. um, I'm sure it's not easy because there's a couple of guys, uh, there's a couple of guys in, in our series now that they could put on that bike and they would, ha they would be successful. And I'm sure there's guys from, uh, from Europe, uh, that would do the same. I, I'm not sure if they'd want two Europeans on, on the team, um, in the Moto America series. I think they'd, they'd probably want, uh, you know, Tony and, and then maybe an American, but again, I don't, I don't know that either. That's, that's, that's their dilemma, not mine. Yeah, early on, it seemed like there was a little bit of talk about Matthew Skoltz riding that, uh, getting that ride. I mean, you know, obviously, Yoshimura Suzuki has some influence on the Westby team. They run their pipe, and there's a good relationship there. And, and uh, you know, it seemed like uh, you could see Pat Alexander from Suzuki talking to Matthew after a couple of the rounds. But that was a long time ago. And, and uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but it, it occurred to me, too, it's like, you know, would they would they have a Spanish rider and a South African rider on an, on an American team? You know, I don't know if that enters into it. I even talked to Josh Hayes at one point because I wondered, you know, is it a matter of having somebody of around the same size as Tony? You know, thinking about JD, would that help them with developing the bike and, you know, a dad act uh, back and forth between the two riders? And, you know, Josh completely poo-pooed that and said that really wouldn't have anything to do with it. Um, cause I was thinking, man, you know, Matthew's like among the tallest guys in this, in that series. And Tony obviously is on the other end of the spectrum. So, but I, I guess I got to trust what Josh says and it, it really wouldn't be a factor. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know, you know, if it's American, if it's size, if it's what, what, yeah, I don't, it. I don't think the size thing plays much of a role in it because, I mean, if you look at teammates throughout the years, you know, I, I can only think of, of one time, you know, when, when Honda built that bike kind of around Danny Pedrosa, right. um, but that was extreme. I mean, they actually built a bike to fit, you know, the smallest guy in the, that's not at Del Mar racetrack riding a horse. <laughs> um, and so that, that was a, that was a bit extreme. I mean, he makes, he makes Tony look like he's in the NBA. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so I think that was a bit, but I mean, I, you know, when my dad had teams, he had Eddie Lawson and Rob McElney, they're probably, you know, 80 pounds apart. Right. Um, I, I think, I, I think what happens is the bike starts with what it is and, and those guys have to get it set up that works for them. I think they share a bit of information, um, obviously, but I don't think it's, uh, I don't, I don't think it matters if you, you know, if you have the Jolly Green Giant or the, 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 uh, short guy down the street, I think. Um, you know, it, it all ends up being based on, on that guy's crew and that guy to get the bike set up for the way that they need it set up for him to have success. So let's, let's talk about Supersport a little bit because of the fact that, 
you mentioned JD, but also Valentin DeBeese's name is supposedly in the hat. I mean, being a Suzuki rider and the relationship that, that M4 Suzuki and Team Hammer has with Suzuki. I mean, you know, obviously Valentin is being considered, or at least that's what we understand to be the case. Both he and JD possibly are candidates for that position, but, you know, only one's going to get it. Possibly neither are going to get it. Um, we've heard that Yamaha is not going to have a 600 team next year, but that there are a lot of teams that are on our sixes. Does JD make the jump to Superbike? Does Valentin make the jump to Superbike? You know, are those guys both going to be in Supersport next year? You know, what, what's your assessment of that? You know, it's, I would like to see those top three guys from Supersport make the jump to Superbike. And Hayden Gillum, you know, with right. The, uh, with the third being Hayden yeah. Gillum, because I think there are three very good motorcycle racers, and I think they all could do well on Superbikes, and they deserve that opportunity. Right now, there's not enough spots for them all to fall into unless we get some new teams coming in. Um, but, I mean, Valentin rode, rode uh, Jake Lewis's bike on the final day at the at the barber test, in, at the Dunlop barber test. Did really good lap times. Um, wasn't too far off of Jake. Uh, he has tons of, of big bike experience. I mean, he races them in France. He test tires for Michelin, um, and a lot of that testing's on thousands. So he's, it, it, it's not this big jump for him. Um, JD, it would be a bit of a jump. He's raced super bikes in the past, but it was, you know, it was a long, long time ago. He did really well on them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how much importance that actually has to me, to me, you, you, to me, you hired the guy you think is the best motorcycle racer. And if he's truly the best motorcycle racer, he will figure out whatever it is you put him on. And I think JD's that guy. I mean, I, you know, I think JD is probably, he, he, he may well be the most talented overall motorcycle rider in our paddock. I mean, you don't, you don't go race a dirt track once or twice a year and put the thing on the podium with the competition that there is in that series. Um, unless you're really talented, you don't go win the super prestigio dirt track in Spain unless you're really talented. And you don't win our super sport championship unless you're really talented. So I think he's, you know, I think he's a good package. I think he's got all the tools. I think he works harder than anybody out there. And I'd like to see him get the opportunity. Whether he gets this one or not, I don't know. Whether he gets another shot at it, I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's the thing. We get to know these guys um, on a personal basis. We get to know them really well professionally. And I want the best for all of them. And I, I wish we could just have super bike rides for all those guys. Um, those top three guys in the super sport class, because I also think, you know, it, it helps, uh, it helps the system keep going because suddenly those guys who were racing for fourth and fifth, um, this past year would be, would be racing for podiums and victories. So. Yeah. And it's tough with, you know, this year was tricky. We, we had a super stock 600 class and, before and racing on this track at the same time as super sport but now everybody was in super sport and you had some guys that went from junior cup into super sport it's and it's a pretty big leap and hence the fact that that person i spoke to wondered if twins cup should have been a a stepping stone to super sport which i don't really ascribe to but um but it's a it's a big leap so you know some of these guys are going to move up next year and you're right i mean you don't want it to be stagnant with regard to you know, JD and, and Hayden Gillum and, and Valentine. it would be great to see that. I mean, I keep running through all these scenarios in my head that if, you know, Josh Heron indeed gets that Yosh ride, then 
you know, JD rode with with or Richard Stanboli back in the day. There's a relationship there, at least, you know, there there's a familiarity. So, you know, would that be a possibility for him? Um, you know, Hayden Gillum is pretty invested with uh ridiculous racing. They've been in the paddock for a couple of years. You know, would they possibly make the leap and, and race superbike? I haven't I haven't heard that yet, but you know, it'd be kind of cool if they did, and and it'd be a, a nice progression for for Hayden to get back into that big bike uh, format. And you know, maybe JD races with that team too because he's got a relationship with them um, as well. So there's just a lot of things at play there, and that's what I say. If you know, if they make make the decision and make that announcement on that rider for Yosh, then you're going to see some things fall into place. I mean, I, I wonder too with regard to Richard Stamboli, I mean, the guy's, the guy's a wizard. There's no doubt about it. And that bike is incredible what he created. Um, if Josh doesn't ride for him next year, I don't imagine he's going to pick up his ball and go home. Do you? Well, I certainly would hope not. I mean, I would think if I was in his position, I would have seen what is actually possible to achieve because they achieved it. They won races on a bike that they built. Um, in the in the top class in Moto America, and I would be thinking, yeah, I want more. Um, you know, if I if if he loses Josh Heron, I know those guys have a have a close relationship, but you know, I would be of the mindset that you know, I if he moves on, you know, good on him. He gets a factory ride and he gets a factory paycheck. But I'm gonna find myself the the next guy that I think can. Uh, can deliver the same sort of results on on the bike that I built. So that's what I would hope his his uh his mindset would be on that. Uh obviously, you know, like everything else, it comes down to money, it comes down to sponsorship, and I'm 100% certain he would do it if if, you know, if he was presented with with something where he wasn't, you know, losing a ton of money in order to do it. So What what do you, you think? Know, I, my fingers are crossed. What do you think, Paul, about st with Stock 1000? I mean, it seems like Travis Wyman's going to come back and, you know, he's going to race that BMW or at least he's going to race in the series again. I'm not so sure about uh, Andrew Lee. I mean, he had a great year and he, he could ride a superbike. I mean, clearly that bike is almost a superbike as it is. I wonder what's going to happen with him. I mean, it all depends on money and team and all that. But um, do, you, do you think he, he'd certainly be a candidate for superbike as well, don't you think? Yeah, and I think that's his goal. Um, and the kid is so young. Yes. Um, you know, it'd be nice to see a kid of that age get an opportunity to jump in that to that class because, you know, everyone always says, Oh, you gotta learn, you gotta learn. Well, you know, I, I kind of think being sometimes thrown into the deep end certainly makes you learn how to swim quicker. And I think he's a talented kid. I think he wants to be in the superbike class. Again, it's just someone giving him that opportunity. But there's a kid, for example, who could, you know, he, he he could learn his craft and get better for the next three or four years and still be in his early twenties. So. Yeah. He's uh he's a great writer for such a young writer. And it's, I, I didn't really know a whole lot about him until this year. And I, I still don't know a whole lot about him, except I thought it was pretty impressive that he had the contacts and connections to go over and race at Suzuka. And clearly he's going to go back there next year. Cause you know, he, he did so well in, in that. And um, he seems to, you know, he's, he's certain, certainly flying the flag for Kawasaki and doing a good job for them. So, boy, if Kawasaki got in in a factory level, which we all hope would happen, you, you'd certainly hope and want to, want Andrew Lee to be one of their riders, I think, for what he's done. Yeah, you yeah, you would you could definitely see him as a number 2 rider in a superbike team and and uh, you know, if they had the right number 1, 
I mean, they obviously have a motorcycle that can win races right away because of, you know, it shows that every week in Europe. So, yep, exactly. um, yeah, if I could drive down to Irvine and kick those guys in the pants a little bit <laughs> and get them to do that, I, I certainly wouldn't. Actually, I have. Um, but again, you know, decisions are made at different levels for those guys. And uh, you just have to hope and pray that uh, at some point, the guy that can make that decision is is somebody who wants to see those guys have success in Moto America, and then somebody'd pull the trigger, and next thing you know, it'd be it'd be happening. I saw this week, which was kind of interesting on social media. Um, you know, Marco Melandri's making this plea to uh, to race in 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 Moto America Superbike, which I think is flattering. Um, I think it'd be amazing if we could get a guy like that here. I would like to see a guy like that here you know, in a new team, I, I don't necessarily want to see him, you know, take a spot of somebody who's already in our series, but I mean, damn, it'd be freaking awesome to have uh, Marco Melandri here. And, you know, I keep hearing stories that we're going to get a Ducati team. And I think if, you know, it's not going to take much. Um, obviously that's not a true statement when it comes to actually putting the team together, but it's not going to take much to, to make the entire series a step higher. And having another team, uh, a Ducati team would would certainly, or a Kawasaki or both would certainly Aprilia. make. Uh, We've heard about Aprilia. A huge, yeah, I've heard Aprilia is coming. I heard they want to come. I mean, uh, it seems like there's a lot of interest from these manufacturers to be here. They just have to find, I guess, a team that they're comfortable with, and also a team that can, you know, that can that can pay some of the funds to make it to make it work. So yeah. fingers crossed on that deal, because I think it would, it would, it would change the series dramatically overnight. Yeah. Let, let's talk about a brand, you know, um, KTM. Damn it. I'm tired of talking. K well, let's talk about KTM for a minute. I mean, it's an interesting situation. You know, Chris Fillmore kind of underscored it when he was up on stage and he was, you know, he was congratulating Alex Duma who won the junior cup uh, or Liquid Molly junior cup championship this year. But I mean, Chris raced a superbike in, AMA Pro Racing, a, a, a KTM Superbike, they don't have one now. So Alex Duma is obviously a great brand ambassador as well as a great rider for KTM, but you know he's kind of at the end of the road with them a little bit. And in terms of Moto America, because of you know some of the the rulings that have been made in terms of his age, or I think it's more what he's accomplished. You know he's got to move up to Super Sport, and you know he wants to stay with KTM, but they don't have a bike. Um, it's a, it's a tough, uh, tough situation for him. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, it is. Um, I know it's, it, you know, we want, everybody wants the best for these kids. Um, it's certainly a, a kid like a kid like Alex has, has a huge amount of talent. Um, and uh, you know, I, do I think he can race a super sport bike? Of course I do. Do I think he can continue to have a great career? Of course I do. And do I think he needs to be pushed a little bit? Probably. Um, you know, the 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 conversations I've had in the past with like the Roger Haydens of the world, I mean, he, he gives full credit for his career of being thrown into the wolves, so to speak, in the supersport class back in the day, because he's racing against his brothers. He's racing against um Miguel Duhamel and Aaron Yates and blah blah blah. The list goes on and on and on. And that's and and he gives that full credit to how he got to where he is in his career, where he was a successful race winning superbike rider. You have to 
you have to keep moving up. And I, there, I mean, there, there's certain kids out there, um, probably the majority of them that, you know, they, they, they don't have the drive. They don't have the passion. Maybe this is all they really want to do is, you know, mess around in junior cup and, you know, maybe go race this or go race that and do some club racing. And, and that's perfectly fine. But I think there's other kids who are driven to be like, I want to be a MotoGP world champion. And I think to learn what you need to learn to get to that point, you have to keep moving through the system. It might not be comfortable for you. It might push you out of your comfort zone. And you might be racing for 10th, 11th, 12th place when you're used to racing for the win. But you got to start somewhere and you got to just hammer away and keep going. And I think that's the the system is in place. The the system that Wayne came up with is in place to 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 have these kids do exactly that. The kid is such a great rider too, Paul. I mean, Alex Dumas, he's so smooth. He just just is wonderful to watch on wheels. Um, I I, I want to see him on a six hundred. Um, I think he's definitely ready for it if he can get over the hump of you know. Uh, it's not going to be a KTM, but you know he can he can do some things there, especially if some of these supersport riders that we've talked about, like JD Valentine and possibly Hayden Gillen, move up. And you know Corey Ventura is another one. You know he's apparently now has to go into supersport, but I think he really wants to. He's a little bit different than Alex Duma. You know I've seen Corey, I've talked to Corey or seen him when he's gotten on a bigger bike. You know at a track day or something, he he really welcomes it and. You know, I think those two guys would would do some definitely do some damage in super sport, uh, for sure. And again, I think um, I think the only way to keep learning is to keep progressing. Um, you know, it's I don't know. I mean, it might be a it might be a dumb comparison, but it's like, you know, if you do really well in fourth grade, you you don't keep learning unless you go to fifth grade. Um, you know, staying in fourth grade for another two or three years isn't going to, you know, you're not on the path to being a road scholar. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I think that you have to keep moving forward. And I think sometimes you get forced out of your comfort zone and that's really where you start to, uh, to improve. And I, I think eventually we're going to find one of these kids that's special. It may be one of the two you've mentioned. It may not, but I think you're going to find that kid who's special that, that just bam, 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 no matter where you put them. He instantly believes he's going to be at the front, and he runs at the front, and and I think that's the next guy that's uh, that's truly going to do something. You know, this reminds me a little bit about when you and I went and played top golf. You know, I knew that you play golf quite a bit, and I I don't. I mean, I have in past years, but my thing about three hours doing that, I always think I could be doing something else. But I knew when I went to play that with you, I thought, well, you know, this is going to be interesting because you know I know Paul knows what he's doing. And because you're good at it and a good golfer, I actually felt like I hit the ball better than I thought I would have because, you know, I had, I had a target, I had a carrot and somebody to look at. And, and, um, I actually felt pretty good about that night. I mean, I shanked a few of them pretty bad and I definitely burned some worms and embarrassed myself a couple of times, but there are a few times I was like, holy crap, I actually hit the ball pretty, pretty well out there. Not as, not as good as you, but you know, certainly this situation with Alex or, or, um, Corey or, you know, any of these guys in super sport that move up to Superbike, when you have that in front of you, it does up your game. It makes you better because you're you're in among more talent not more talented riders, but uh, you know, riders that really know what they're doing. So you're gonna do that. Don't you agree with that? Well, first of all, let me tell you something. If you think I'm a good golfer, I'm not even sure you're qualified to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> I thought you hit the ball. I well. am no, uh, I am not a good golfer. <laughs> 
there's several people we know who are good golfers, and I'm not one well, of them. Well, let's put it this way: you're um, better than I am, and I definitely improved well, because you were you were definitely a little better than I was. So, well, I can hack my way around a little bit, and you know, try not to embarrass myself too much, and I have a good time doing it. But I'm by no means a good a good golfer. <laughs> but with that being said, I think we should quit while we're ahead. <laughs> And uh, and save something to talk about the next time. Maybe we can start with your golf game the next time, and then we can go from there. But uh, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the conversation with you. Um, I look forward to doing it again. Um, we can get some guests on here. We can talk about motorcycle racing. We can talk about life. We can talk about uh, all sorts of different things. And I think uh, well, let's let's hope that the the people enjoy it, and uh, we get some people to listen, and we can continue to do this. But uh, Again, I want to thank you for for joining me on this. Um, and uh, who knows, we might uh, we might be invited back. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I mean, I think next time, hopefully, we'll be able to talk about this Yost ride a little bit. The other thing is, um, it's kind of ironic. We mentioned Top, top Golf, and uh, I live about a half an hour uh, east of Columbus, and uh, they are opening at Top Golf. The grand opening is tonight, so I need to go down and try to up my skills a little bit more, and maybe we can talk about that as well as. Uh, what's going to, what's to come in, in the classes, but we managed to talk about every Moto America race class, um, in this uh, session. So I feel good about that. That was good. I enjoyed well, it. You, yeah. You, good job for leading us down that path. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. We'll talk to you again soon and, uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. All right. Take care, Paul. Bye.